chapter 14, verse 34, and also Romans chapter 1 in our study together today. We appreciate so much your presence. I know that uh, it's not a good day outside. We're grateful that we have a great place to worship. We can stay dry and warm, and we're very thankful for that. Appreciate so much those of you that are visiting with us. As always, we invite you to come back. I know that we have a lot of people that are battling illness. Uh, we've got a lot of people that are out. And so please keep them in your prayers if you would. We are going to be looking, as I said a moment ago, at Psalm 11 initially. And as we look at Psalm 11, I want to begin this morning in our study today by asking a question that I suspect many of you have an answer to. And that is, are you concerned about the state of our nation? Are you concerned about where we are headed as a nation of people? I would imagine that all of us would probably say yes. It might be the case that many of us would say that we're not just worried, but gravely concerned. Things have changed so dramatically in the nation in which we live. And it's hard to believe that over the last probably 50 years or so, things have changed so much. This is not the America that many of our forefathers would remember. It's a different day, it's a different time, it's a different society. What I want us to do today is to just, in a very simplistic way, is to evaluate where we are. And then I want us to maybe talk for a moment or two about some corrective steps that we can take as God's people. I want to begin our study this morning by reading for you some excerpts from an article penned, America Must Reverse Its Moral Decline. Rebecca A. Kesserling cites in 1917 that Theodore Roosevelt made this observation. In this world, a churchless community a community where men have abandoned and scoffed at or ignored their Christian duties is a community on the rapid downgrade. She also cited George Washington, who had this to say, morality is a necessary spring of popular government. Let us with caution indulge the, su the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Kesseling has this to say, it's time to wake up, America. Lest America become another example of a great nation ultimately destroyed by moral decay and an abandonment of Christian precepts and duties. She closes with these stirring words, may God continue to bless America. This past week, I was looking at some statistics. I noted, or noticed actually, 
that the average empire, kingdom, or nation lasts approximately 10 generations. A generation being somewhere around 25 years. If you were to go back in history and just by way of approximation, look at the great Assyrian Empire. Assyria lasted about 247 years. Babylon, and Babylon was one of the great, great nations of her day. A strong presence. Babylon lasted about 208 years. The Grecian Empire, which so famed in days gone by, lasted some 231 years. Historians state that the Roman Empire lasted about 207 years. America, we have lasted 243 years. So you ask the question, where are we headed as a nation? Are we concerned about the direction that we as a nation of people are moving toward? In Psalm 11, listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said in the long ago. In verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, he asks this question, what can the righteous do? Many of us, I would imagine, feel somewhat limited or even powerless to change the direction of our nation. How many of us would say, you know, I'm just one person? How could I make a difference? I'm not a congressman. I'm not a senator. I'm not involved politically, so to speak, in our nation. How could I make a difference in the world in which I live? Specifically, how could I make an impact for good in this country? The psalmist raises this question. And he says, if the foundations are destroyed, his question, what can the righteous do? Down in verse 7, the psalmist said, for the Lord is righteous. Now note, he loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. And then factor in what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 14 in verse 34. When he wrote many, many years ago, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. We know that God loves righteousness. He detests sin and unrighteousness. And so again, the question is asked, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can we do? I want to begin our study today by, first of all, talking about what I call the deconstruction of our foundation. And you have to look at the foundation of our nation. And listen again to the psalmist when he says, if the foundations are destroyed... Would you agree with me today that the foundation of our nation is crumbling, is being destroyed? Would you say that we're not the nation that we once were? Some would say that as a nation of people, 
we have already eclipsed what has been called the golden age. Economically, I read this past week, we are $22 trillion in debt. I can't begin to fathom that. Judicially, our country is in sad shape. And then, spiritually, morally, bankrupt in many respects. So I want you to look with me, if you would, for a moment or two as we think about the deconstruction of our foundation. And I want you to look at Romans chapter 1 because in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul provides us with a glimpse into the state of the Gentile world. And in Romans chapter 1, what Paul is saying in effect is that the Gentile world, they were living in sin. In chapter 2, he will talk about the Jewish world, the Jewish nation. And he'll say that they too were in sin. In chapter 3, his conclusion is that there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Romans chapter 1, we have a, what I would call a fitting picture of the moral decline of a nation of people. I want to begin by talking about the fact that our foundation is being destroyed by ignorance. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, some translations say, hold down the truth and unrighteousness. When I think about our foundation being destroyed by ignorance, I am reminded of the fact that there was a point in time in the history of our nation in which many of our citizens were conversant to some extent in religious matters. By and large, our country was founded by men and women who held high the ideals of Scripture. They believed deeply in the God of the Bible. They believed in His Word. I cited a moment ago what Roosevelt and Washington said about morality in our nation. And so I believe that there was a sense of conviction on the part of many, many people in our nation that God is true, that the God of the Bible is the one that we need to revere and that His Word must be exalted in order for our nation to flourish. So we talk about the foundation being destroyed because of ignorance. There has been the suppression of truth and that's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And the idea is that God's Word is being held down, suppressed, or hindered Look at all the marvelous truths contained in Scripture. And think, if you would, about some of the statements that are made that specifically would better our nation if employed. And yet there are many people in our world today, there are many people in our nation today that, quite frankly, have no use for God's Word. They look at God's Word as old-fashioned, archaic, outdated, 
And yet we as God's people look at the Bible as being a timeless book. A book that transcends culture and time. The relevance of Scripture is well stated throughout. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is inspired of God, and then he said, and is profitable. God's intent is that His Word would be helpful. But sadly, when people abdicate His Word, when they suppress the power of truth, then problems will arise, and problems do arise. And in the past, it's evidenced. Do you remember Hosea, the prophet in the long ago? Hosea, in chapter 4, said that he brought an indictment against the children of Israel. He said, because there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. And as a result of that, in light of the fact that they had abdicated the law of God in their lives, he said there is swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. He said they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. And listen to what God said about His own people. Verse 6, chapter 4. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A passage familiar to many of us, and yet the point is that when we sever our relationship to God's Word, then moral mayhem is a result. And you look at our nation today, we are not a theocracy as Israel was of old. But we have, in many cases, been a people who would be classified as Bible-believing, God-fearing people, right? I mean, that has been our history, by and large. And so you talk about, we talk about the suppression of truth, the repression of truth, but then also the rejection of truth. It's hard to imagine that we live in a day and time in which there has been in some respects, in some quarters, wholesale rejection of the truth of Almighty God. Listen to what Paul said about the Gentile world. He said, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of this world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. When I read these verses, I think about the state of our nation, and the fact that in many ways we have been so blessed technologically, scientifically, medically, the advancements that have been made, just incredible. And how blessed we are to live in a nation that enjoys so many rich benefits, that is prosperous in so many ways. And yet, we talk about the rejection of truth. It's hard for me to believe that many of our modern universities 
are really epicenters for unbelief. Many of those who have embraced higher education, I'm not saying everyone, but you think about the vast numbers of people that have been indoctrinated to believe that we are the products of chance, that our world is the product of evolution. And they talk about this supposed theory as if it were fact. The Gentile world, while they did not have revelation as the Israelite nation did, they did have evidence for God. I mean, you think about the fact that as the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork. The world is evidence that there is a God. And yet, do we not live in a day and time when people will reject the God of the Bible? They reject God as the Creator? I mean, that's too simplistic. It's too old-fashioned. It's too narrow-minded. It doesn't fit the protocol of science. The Hebrew writer said it in a very simplistic way in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. He said, every house is built by some man. Everyone knows that, right? I mean, we know that. Okay, so if every house is built by some man, then surely design demands a designer. That would mean that the world demands design and a designer. So the Hebrew writer said, every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. I mean, can you imagine living in a nation in a nation that has been so richly blessed, and we talk about our academic achievements and the scholarship in our nation, science and medicine, all, all the great discoveries. And we as a nation of people reject the God of the Bible, the Creator. And then to talk about the moral decline of our nation as a result of rejecting the God of Revelation? I mean, there are two ways to know that there is a God. Number one is creation. Number two is revelation. We can know there's a God without, without Scripture. But we can't know anything about the mind of God, the nature of God, the will of God without His Word. So when you look at Scripture, you're seeing, in a sense, the handprint of God. We're... We gain insight into His nature. There's a, there's a second thing I want to suggest to you. And that is our foundation is being destroyed by idolatry. Listen to what Paul said in verse 22 again. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beast and creeping things. Hasn't there been the reshaping of the nature of God by many people in this country? I mean, look at, look at the views of people when it comes to quote-unquote God. Did you think that you would ever live in a country called America? in which polytheism has become so acceptable. 
Did you ever think that you would live in a nation that would say, you know what, there's room for other gods. And we talk about the reshaping of the nature of God. And for many people, it's the God of humanism. There are many that have shaped God into their own image and some would view themselves as nothing more than a God. I remember hearing a well-known person talking about a moral issue on one occasion. What the Bible had to say or has to say about that moral issue is very clear, very plain. And yet, the response of this person was, well, the God that I know wouldn't view it like that. Let me tell you what. We don't have the liberty to reshape the nature of God. We don't have the latitude to reshape the will of God, the way of God, the Word of God. And then I think about how in our nation today, materialism and money have become the gods of people. I mean, we talk about the reshaping of the nature of God, and then I would add to that the reshaping or the rejection of the need for God. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today, quite frankly, they'll tell you, you know what, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I don't need God in my life. I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much. And that's how a lot of folks feel. I mean, you look at our world today. Somebody said one time that we do better in times of adversity rather than in times of prosperity. Why is that? Go back and look at the period of the judges. You remember there was a vicious cycle reported during the days of the judges. God's people would be faithful to Him for a period of time. And then as time marched on and as things went well, they would, they would forsake Him. So God would raise up an oppressor and the children of Israel would be oppressed and they would cry out to God for deliverance. He'd raise up a judge, deliver them, they'd rock along for a while, they'd live for God, and then back to their old ways again. And that cycle repeated itself over and over and over again. And you look at our nation and you think about the prosperity of our nation. Is it possible that in our country that economically we really don't need God? I know we're $22 trillion in debt. It's not really affecting me. It's not affecting my household, so why do I need God? Things are great. I've got, nice, I've got a nice automobile. I live in a nice home. I've got a great business. I wear nice clothes. My children go to a great school. I mean, why, why would I ever need God? That's the, that's the sentiment of a lot of people in our world today. There has been the wholesale rejection the need for God in the lives of people. Look at the children of Israel. I mentioned Hosea chapter 4 a moment ago. Hosea said there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. They had God's word. They had a covenant relationship with God, and yet they chose to ignore Him. As a result of that, mayhem occurred, and then you think about the fact that God sent the northern kingdom into Assyrian captivity in about 722 or 721 B.C., a little over 100 years later, the southern kingdom became so corrupt and ungodly, you know what God did? He sent them into captivity. 70 years in Babylonian exile. God spared the remnant to bring the Christ into the world. 
And you think about what Jesus said with regard to truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not only have we rejected a need for truth in our lives, but for many people would say, you know what, there's no such thing as absolute truth. I mean, what's truth for you may not be truth for me, and vice versa. You have your standard, I have my standard, we'll just live as we want to. We'll just do as we please. Here's what the writer of Judges said in Judges 21, verse 25. He said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Now listen to what he said. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We talk about reshaping the nature of God and rejecting the need for God. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the children of Israel. And that's exactly what they did. And in Romans chapter 1, when Paul talks about the Gentile world, he's saying that's what they did. There's a third thing I want to share with you in our study this morning with regard to the deconstruction of our foundation. I mentioned the fact that our foundation is being destroyed by ignorance. Our foundation is being destroyed by idolatry. But our foundation is also being destroyed by indulgence. I want to begin by talking about the moral corruption of our nation. And listen, if you would, to what God said regarding the Gentile world. Paul here speaking on behalf of God, verse 24. Therefore, in light of the fact that these people were ignorant in light of the fact that they had embraced idolatry, the next step in that slide is indulgence. Paul said, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Drop down, look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, He said, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. If you didn't know better, you'd think it's talking about us, wouldn't you, in America? I mean, isn't this somewhat of a commentary on modern day America? maybe possibly other nations around the globe. We talk about the relevance of Scripture. The fact that God's Word is timeless. It transcends culture. Morally speaking, our country's a mess. I mean, I wish I could stand before you today and say that morally we're where we need to be, but we are not. Can you imagine a nation of people that allows innocent babies to be aborted? And can you imagine that? 
Can, can you imagine a nation that allows over a million innocent, precious children to be aborted? You know, I suspect in our country, if we had the opportunity to sit down with a senator or a congressman, our president, if we had the opportunity to sit down and just ask them this question, do you believe that what occurred under the Holocaust, do you believe that that was barbaric? Do you believe it was wrong? Do you believe that it was morally wrong? What do you think they would say? I think every single congressperson and senator, Democrat or Republican, would tell you it's wrong. Would you agree with that? I think they would. And yet, some of those same people have no problem aborting an innocent child. Now, you tell me, what's the difference in terms of, bar in terms of being barbaric? Listen to what God said, and God's Word doesn't change. God said He hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. We have a lot of innocent blood on our hands in this country. And you think about standing before Almighty God and giving the green light to something like abortion, we better think again. We better think again. It's 11 o'clock. And I got a lot more material, so I'm going to have to quit. I didn't realize it was so late. The Lord willing, we will continue this lesson next week. I think that what we're talking about ought to cause us to think and think deeply about where we are as a nation of people. Our goal is to make a difference in this world. When the psalmist said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want to leave us with this thought. There is something we can do. And just the summation of it is, we can live a righteous life. We can do what's right. And you say, well, how could, how could I, how could me, myself, and I, how could I have an impact on this country? And I, 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 I'm just one person. Do you remember the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember when Abraham in the long ago bargained with God about saving, sparing those cities? And what did God say? God said, if I can find ten righteous people, I'll spare the cities. Now sadly, ten righteous people couldn't be found. But I would hope and pray that in this nation we can find ten righteous people in our cities. So we can, we can have a positive impact for good in this country. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your love and care. We're so thankful for the many blessings that we enjoy. And Father, we're thankful to live in a country that has been blessed so immeasurably. And Father, we ask that you forgive us for times when we have taken for granted the freedoms that we enjoy. And we pray, Father, that as a nation of people that we will recognize where we are and that we will, to the best of our ability, strive to be an influence for good and that we will encourage others 
to live for you, that we will hold high your word in this world and in this nation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, if you are here and you're not a Christian, as always, we want to invite you to become a child of God. Now, you might ask the question, what do I need to do? Well, first and foremost, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said that much in Matthew chapter 16. He acknowledged Him to be the Son of the living God. And then to repent, to turn from a life of sin. Peter on Pentecost Day told those people that had been convicted of sin to repent. And then he said, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church, the community of the saved. If you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here today, and for whatever reason you need the prayers of the church, maybe... Maybe you are no longer in fellowship with God and you want to be back in fellowship with God and you want the church here to pray for you and to pray with you. Look, we'd be happy to do that. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?